So I don't know how you're feeling uh, this morning. I don't know what's, what's going through your mind about uh, what's been taking place, but uh, we did a, a Zoom group uh, earlier this week, uh, a Zoom prayer group. Um, we called it Midday Prayer, and so we got to pray with, I don't know, 15, 20 of us, and I think there was just a consistent theme through that prayer time of just uncertainty, like there's this uncertainty as to what's the government re- going to require, and am I going to get sick, and uh, how is this going to affect me financially, and how is this going to affect the economy, and so there's just this looming uncertainty. Are we going to be as bad as Italy, um, and what, what's going to take place, and how long is this going to last? Is it, is it going to last this way until we get a, uh, a vaccine or some type of therapeutic medicine, medicine for this? And what is going to happen in this situation? And I hope that I'm not stressing you out by even bringing these things up, but I, I want to remind you of maybe what you already know, and that is that you're feeling uncertain, and many, many of us are. And so I, I know that I have felt uncertainty. I felt uncertainty because obviously I'm sitting in a relatively empty building right now. And we have, the the church has has bills to pay as well. And so the economy and its state and people losing their jobs, 53,000 people applying for unemployment uh, just recently. I mean, that's going to affect all of us. And so I have been plagued by this level of uncertainty. It's an uncertainty that kind of continues in my heart. And I, I don't know that I've... I don't know that I necessarily know what anxiety feels like. I don't know that I've necessarily really dealt with that. Maybe I have, and I just have never named it that. But I just know that I, I, I have begun to feel pretty stressed out. I've begun to feel somewhat under pressure. And so I don't know where you're at this morning, but I, I wanted to bring you a passage of Scripture this morning that really can speak to our uncertainty, our anxiety, and can really speak to the idea of bringing us perspective in the midst of crisis. Do you have perspective in the midst of crisis? The truth is is that many of us do not have a uh, perspective on a crisis or on suffering of any kind, not just this worldwide crisis, but suffering throughout our, our life. We don't have a perspective on it. And so in some ways we look at it and we say, you know what, God must be punishing me because I've done something bad. And we might say God's punishing the world because of all the bad things that are going on. And these are just wrong things that are, that are being said. They're at least misused or misapplied. And so we, we don't have a theology of suffering. We don't have this, this idea. We don't have the ability to be able to speak to what is suffering and how do I deal with it. Is it meaningless? I mean, is this, is this world just happenstance? Is, this, is that really what's going on here? And then if you suffer, I guess you better try to do better next time so you don't have to suffer that time and uh, you know, learn from your mistakes. But ultimately, suffering is... Is, is just meaningless, that kind of a deal. Or what, really, what is suffering all about? And I know that we're not necessarily in a state where we're suffering. Most of us are probably not sick yet, um, but I think we may be headed to a point where we're going to experience, uh, perhaps, longer-term suffering. But I want to give you long-term and eternal, eternal hope, a living hope is really what I want to give you. And I believe that that's what the scripture gives us this morning. And so if you're here, you're joining us, maybe for the first time, like you don't go to church, you're not a part of this thing. I really have you in mind. I have Christians in mind as well, but I have you in mind this morning and I hope that you'll stick with us. 
because this is an opportunity. You get to hear what, what we're about and what, what we believe. And I just want to invite you to hear. Would, would you just hear me out? Would you just hear me one time? Would you just maybe hear what the Bible has to say to you this morning, um, how God wants to care for you, and how you can have like ballast in your life that allows you to not have to have uncertainty, to not have to have this anxiety um, to the degree that maybe we have, but to be able to look at it in a way that allows us to flourish and not flounder. So I want to invite you to that. This morning, we are taking a break from our series in Luke, and we're going to the book of 1 Peter. We're going to the book of 1 Peter. We'll be picking it up in verse 1 and going through uh, verse 7, I believe. Yeah, I believe verse 7. So here we go. Uh, We're going to be in 1 Peter. This is a book that's written by, obviously, Peter. And he's writing it to a group of Christians that are scattered throughout the, the, the region where he is at. They're scattered all over the place, and, and there may be a couple of reasons for that, but they're scattered everywhere, and he's written this letter to these people who are Christians, and he's speaking to them, and he wants to give them hope in some, in some things because they're experiencing great suffering. They're experiencing great persecution. And so he walks them through kind of a process here that I think that you can walk through as well. And the process is one that brings us into uh, this great perspective on life and allows us uh, and, and brings us to human flourishing. And so it says this, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, dispersion just means the scattered, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. In fact, we'll stop right there. We're going to go through verse 6, at least for now. So this, this passage is really filled with a lot of theological language. If, you're kind of, if your head is spinning because you just heard me read that, I, I want to explain it to you. And the first thing that I want to explain to you here is, is first of all, the, uh, the Apostle Peter... He is speaking to these people, and he says to them, he says, to those who are elect. And then he says, uh, he he says this in verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, for the sprinkling with his blood. The Apostle Peter is talking to these people who were formerly not Christians, these are people who were formerly not Christians. They didn't grow up in Christian homes, uh, we believe. These are people that are just, just, they're called Gentiles in the scriptures. But these are people who had no real understanding of all that. And so here they are, here are these people, and they're going through great suffering. 
And what Peter wants them to know, first of all, is he wants them to understand something, and that is that God is completely and finally sovereign over all things, especially their salvation in him. The words elect and foreknowledge speak to the idea that God is all-knowing, that God is all-powerful, that he uh, controls all things. And he is trying to say to them, I believe that by the power of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, that he has all things under control. And so this morning, here's something that you should know, whether you believe in God or not necessarily. What we want to tell you is what the scriptures teach us is this, is that this world may seem like it is out of control, but it is still under the control of this God. It is under the control of this God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and he is able to bring about to you grace and peace. He says that. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. And so this morning, I want to invite you to this idea of receiving the grace of Jesus Christ and I want, you, uh, and I want to invite you to understanding the peace that he brings to you. And so, secondly, what he says is this. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter is saying this to us. He's saying, I want you to understand that the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is someone, is a personal God who is to be praised and so he's speaking to people who are in the midst of suffering. He's speaking to people who are in the midst of discomfort. And he is communicating to them. He says, we should be praising this God. We should be praising him. Now that may seem kind of crazy to you. I think it does seem crazy to me because we're in the midst of this uncertain time. How can we be praising this God that is supposedly all-powerful, and yet it seems so out of control. It seems so uncertain. How could this loving God allow this to take place? Let's keep going here. He says, according to his great mercy. According to his great mercy. The apostle, uh, the apostle Peter wants you to hear something, and that is that this God is completely sovereign. He's absolutely in control of all things. He is to be praised. And what is he to be praised for for his great mercy. Now, I don't know about you, but during this time, the only way that you can actually have a living hope, the only way that I can have a living hope in Jesus Christ is if we understand something first and foremost. And that is because he is, to be, he is worthy to be praised because he has shown us his great mercy. I was reading uh, Charles Spurgeon, one of his sermons on this very same passage. They're always so great. And he tells this story of a young man who comes from battle. And uh, we, we know what this is like because we've seen many, uh, many young men and women who've come back from battle overseas in the Middle East. And uh, he tells this story of this young man who, who perhaps steps off of a, a train at a train station and he is very gaunt. He is uh, very tired. He's very sickly. Even though he's a young man and he should be a, a strapping young man. And yet he's here and he's missing a limb. He's missing something that has, uh, you know, uh, happened to him in the midst of war. 
And so he's sitting there, and so you sit there as a stranger, and you, you pity this, this young man. You pity him, and, and you think to yourself, how sad is it that, uh, that this has happened to him? But Charles Spurgeon goes on to say this. He says, but an elderly man rushes before you. It is the father. And as he looks upon his son, uh, uh, upon his son, whom he sent to the war, so manly, so strong, so full of health and vigor, now reduced to the mere ghost of what he was. He pities as, as a stranger cannot. His inmost bowels are moved with compassion for his son. The mercy of the Lord to us is not the mercy of a stranger to a stranger, but the mercy of a father towards his own dear children. Such mercy has the Lord, has the Lord had on me. Like as a father pitieth his children, so he has pity on me. So he has pitied me. I don't know if you, if you could see this, but, but what Peter wants us to know and to understand as Christians is this. Is that when we're going through great struggles, when we're going through suffering, when we're in the midst of a crisis, when things are uncertain, what has to be thought of is first, God is in control. Number two, God is worthy of praise. And why is he worthy of praise? He is worthy of praise because of his great mercy. God is the one who has had incredible mercy upon me and upon you. And this mercy is not like a stranger to a stranger. This mercy is as though it was uh, this father who sees his son who has been wounded. He sees his son who is in desperation. He sees his son who's just the shadow of the man who he was before he went to war. God sees you. God knows you. God has had mercy upon you in that setting, in that sense. And this is what God has available to you who are not believers this morning. If you feel like life is out of control, if you feel like this is a crisis that, that you've never seen, if you feel like you don't even understand what's going on and you need some kind of ballast in your life, what you have to begin with is you have to begin with who is ultimately and finally in control and what has he done for us. What he's done for us is he has had great mercy on us. It says he has caused us. That's another idea of God's sovereignty. God works in our life. He causes us. He causes something to take place in, in your life. So if you're sitting here this morning, you're saying, I don't know that I could do it. I don't know that I could make it happen. I don't know that that is something that I want to do, that I want to be a part of, or, or anything like that. Here's the thing. I may be speaking to you this morning, and you may have this inkling of, I should begin to follow Jesus. But you think to yourself in one great moment, like, I don't think I could ever make that happen. And you're exactly right about that. You can't make it happen. It has to be something that is caused by God. And that's what this next, uh, this, these next couple words say. It's caused by God. And what has he caused? He's caused us to be born again. Now the idea of, of being born again is not looked on uh, very well sometimes in our, in our society today. In fact, I was just speaking with uh, one of my friends this last week. I hope it's okay if I tell this story, uh, but uh, he's a good friend of mine. He's, he uh, 
uh, he's an atheist, and, and he was telling me about how he has known some Christians that call themselves born-again Christians. And he, he looks at that, and he sees this idea of when someone calls himself, uh, their self, a, uh, a born-again Christian, he really looks at that, and he says, you know what, those are the worst kind. I, I, I hope I'm not misrepresenting what he had to say to me. I love my friend. But what he had to say was that people who call themselves born-again Christians tend to be a little over the top. They tend to be people who are, uh, you know, judgmental. They tend to be people who are fanatical. They tend to be people, whatever it is. But the truth is this, is that you can't be a Christian without being born again. You can't be a Christian. Now, that may be a culturalized uh, title that people have made up, but in regards to theology, in regards to understanding who God is, like you can't, you cannot have a relationship with God without becoming born again. Now, why, why must you be born again? You must be born again because of this, because my entire life I have grown up believing that I was in charge, that I was in control, that I, had, that I am the one who makes, uh, makes things happen. That I am the one who, who uh, manages the affairs of my life. That I am ultimately and finally sovereign. And what is Peter saying to these people? He's saying this, that God is the one who causes us, through Jesus Christ our Lord, he causes us to be born again. And what it's basically saying, that, uh, saying is this, is that you've got to go back to the starting line if you're going to start with God. You have to go back to the starting line. And what does that mean? And it's, it's like being a baby. Like a baby does not have the ability, the skills to be able to operate uh, his or her own life. A baby doesn't have the ability or skills to really understand what's happening around them. And they're looking for teaching. And they're asking their father or their mother for, uh, for guidance. And so what it says is this, is that he has caused us to be born again. And what has he caused us to be born again into? And it is into a living hope. It is into a living hope. And so Christians this morning, you have a living hope. You have a hope that the rest of our world, who are not believers in Jesus Christ, do not have. That you have a living hope that allows you to be able to operate in life. And yes, you're going to experience suffering. And yes, you're going to experience uncertainty and anxiety. But you have something that carries you through that. You have something that carries you through that. And that is a sovereign God who is worthy to be praised who has lavished incredible mercy on you and has caused you and has brought you to a place of salvation. And Peter wants, you to, rem wants to remind you of this this morning, that your hope is not in this world and the circumstances. Your hope is not in that. He caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And just a few weeks is Easter and we'll be talking about the, the resurrection, I'm sure, on that day. But what we need to see, what we need to know is this, is that the resurrection brings about the ability that we have to be able to experience life in the midst of death. It gives us the ability to experience life in the midst of death. 
See, the, the great fear that we have right now, the thing that is happening to us on, on a regular basis is this. The anxiety, the uncertainty that's coming to us is really related to this. And that is, we have a great fear of suffering. We have a great fear of death. We have a great fear that things will not be the way that they are supposed to be. Peter wants to communicate to you this morning. God is saying to you this morning, your hope is not in this world. Your living hope, your eternal hope, is, uh, has been made uh, possible because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And here's the thing. Spurgeon says this, For what is death but the key of heaven to the Christian? Because of Jesus' resurrection, the resurrection has been made available to us. Not only in this life are we experiencing resurrection in our daily life as we go from death to life. We picture that in baptism when we go under the water and then we come out from the water. It is us identifying ourselves with Jesus Christ. We identify ourselves with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That's what baptism says. It says, I'm identifying myself with Jesus Christ. And men and women, what you have to do, what you have to know, what you have to see is this. And that is that all you have to do is look to your baptism and say, I will survive. I will make it. This is not the end. I have a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and everything that God has done in me. So men and women, are you praising the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ right now, right here in this place? He says in verse 4, he says, that we've also been saved to, our living hope is found in an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That it's an inheritance that's imperishable, that's undefiled, and unfading. Now, normally an inheritance is only uh, receivable upon death. But what Peter tells us here this morning is this, is that as a Christian, part of your hope is found in the inheritance. Jesus says, I go to pre prepare a place for you, and that place has things, and it has stuff, and it has whatever it is that we need in heaven, uh, in, in, the, in the presence of, of Jesus. But it, it's an inheritance. It is something that is uh, that is very lavish. It's something that we look forward to, that we long for. It's an inheritance that's not necessarily monetary, but it's something that it's a true inheritance. The thing that we've always wanted. Have you ever noticed how you can never have enough money? Have you ever noticed how people who win the lottery uh, end up destroying their lives because they spent their money on, on frivolous things and, and life just comes apart for them? And that's because that is a, a, an inheritance and an inheritance that perishes, that spoils, that fades. It's something that is not lasting. It's something that you were not created for. I'm not saying that money is not a good thing. Money is a great thing when it's used wisely. But what I'm saying is this, is that oftentimes the things that we think are imperishable, the things that we believe are undefiled, and things that are unfading really are not. They are perishable. 
They're defiled and they're fading. So what are we talking about this morning? We've just presented our living hope and that living hope is found in an inheritance. But he says that this inheritance is different than maybe the, the inheritance that you've been thinking of. Why are we so uncertain? Why am I scared? Why when I wake up first thing in the morning and instead of opening up my Bible, I open up my phone, I just start reading articles and it, it just completely messes up my day. Why is that? It's because the, the truth about me, the truth about me, Matt Porter, the truth about me as somebody who's even a pastor is this, is that I oftentimes do not see my inheritance as something that, that God provides me in Jesus Christ but it's something that I see that I, I give me. It's something that I, that I go after. It's something that I have made. And he says this. He says, it's, it's none of those things. It's, 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 uh, it's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. And he says, it's kept in heaven for you. And so here's the deal. I hope you're listening. Your inheritance is not kept in the stock market. Your inheritance is not kept in the stock market. Your inheritance is not kept in your home. Your inheritance is not kept in your job. Your inheritance is not kept in your status. Your inheritance is not kept in your relationships. Your inheritance or your flourishing is not kept in the idea that this pandemic will end quickly. Your inheritance is not found in the idea that your kids will go back to school soon. Your inheritance is not kept in any of those things. Because here's the thing. All of those things are things that are perishable. They are defiled. They are fading. Why are we so uncertain? And it is because our perspective... Is, has not been set by God. Our perspective has been set by this world. And here's the thing. Like suffering is inescapable. You can't live in this world without suffering to one degree or another. And if you do not understand this perspective, then you may continue to be uncertain. You may continue, just like me, you may continue to be uncertain. You might continue to be completely thrown off with every article that you read. If you're like me, I read, I read a bad article, and that's like, the world, the, the sky is falling. I actually saw the title to uh, an article that says, the sky is falling. Isn't that Chicken Little that does that? There's an, uh, there, there are multiple articles that say the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And I'm not saying that it isn't. It might be. And then I, I'll read an article like I did yesterday that says, you know, it's bad, but I don't think it's as bad as they're saying it is. And that may be wrong. I, 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 I'm, just, I'm just talking to you as a person here. I think we still need to wash our hands. I think we still need to do social distancing. We need to obey the government authorities. But, there, but my, my heart rises and falls on this, And the reason is, is because my inheritance, what I believe 
is, is, is most meaningful to me, the most value to me, is not kept in heaven, but it's kept in my idolatrous heart. It is kept in my idolatrous heart. And, and I'm basically sitting there just saying, I hope that this suffering does not go after the things that I hold most dear. And men and women, I have to tell you something, and it's tough. And that is this, that God's great mercy on you includes the idea that all of those things would be lost. The greatest gift that God can give you is to take away all the things that you believe are your greatest inheritance and show you that those will not last. That will never suffice. It will not be the thing that carries you through to the end. See, we here in America especially cannot seem to deal with suffering. Look at the opioid epidemic. It happened because of overprescribing uh, opioid medication for pain. Look at all of the other medications that we have, and I'm not ripping on anybody who's taking medication here this morning in any way, but I am saying I think it might be overprescribed. And it's because Americans cannot handle pain. We do not have a category to say that pain is needed. And that's exactly what the next verse says. And so I hope you'll stick with me here for just a couple more minutes here. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So just, just, let's just take a second. Let's talk about all the offensive things that are happening in, in that verse, in verse 6. In this you rejoice. What am I rejoicing in? I'm rejoicing in the, the idea, wait a minute, I missed, I missed a verse. I missed verse 5. Verse 5 says, You who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This, this is saying, you are being guarded by God's power through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. So our great hope and our, our great rejoicing is supposed to be happening because God is the one who is guarding our faith. God is the one who is enabling our faith. God is the one who is allowing us to be carried through to the very end. Another way of saying that God is ultimately and finally sovereign. And now I'll go to verse 6, which says this, in this you rejoice. What's offensive about that? It's offensive because of this. It's offensive to say, like, I'm rejoicing in the idea of, like, the last time. I'm, I'm rejoicing into the idea of, of death in some ways. I come hell or high water, no matter what takes place. Uh, like, uh, if I die, I die kind of a deal. And, and Peter's kind of saying here, like, you should be rejoicing that God's going to carry you through to the end, but you should be rejoicing in the midst of suffering. That is an idea that is throughout Scripture. But you should be rejoicing, he says, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Look at this idea of though now for a little while. What are we talking about? 
When we say a little while, how much time is that? Is that, you know, uh, five minutes? Is it an hour? Is it a couple days? Is it the next 15 days? Is it the next 30 days? Is it the next eight weeks? Is it uh, 12 to 18 months, though now for a little while? I don't believe so. I believe what Peter's referencing here, because the verse just previous to, uh, to it just said, to, re- to be revealed at the last time. That is, that is the end of days. That is the end of, of all things. It is, it is the idea that though now for a little while, that right here and right now on this earth, from now until the end of days, from now until, et- until Jesus returns, he's talking about as a little while. And I don't know about you, but a little, that, that doesn't sound like a little while. That sounds like my entire life. That's everything. Hey, thank you very little, Peter. Like that, that does not help me at all. Like that just tells me, hey, this is really going to stink for a while. And so just get used to it. That doesn't sound fun to me, but that seems offensive. And then look at the next two words, if necessary. Though now for a little while, you've been grieved by various trials. Though now for a little while, you have been grieved. uh, (laughs) For a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. What would be necessary about trials? What would be necessary about me going through suffering? What would be necessary about losing everything that I think that I hold dear? What could possibly be necessary about that? Because I don't know. It seems, it seems to me that that is a really difficult statement. It seems to me that I don't like the idea of something being necessary. I hate the idea of something being necessary. I, I mean, I'll be honest, I've had some prayers where I'm, I'm like, Lord God, I hope it's not necessary for me to lose my house. Lord God, I'm, I'm hoping it's not necessary that, our, that, our, uh, that we lose uh, the, the church building and the, and the organization that's here. Lord, I hope it's not necessary that we have to go through that. But there's something that I, I don't get often, and that is that God sees things that I don't. God understands things that I have no understanding of. God has wisdom that just far exceeds my own. And so if necessary, is necessary for bringing a living hope. Because you can look at it like this. In fact, Tim Keller says this in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. If you haven't read that book, you should read it. Timothy Keller, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. He says, Suffering dispels the illusion that we have the strength and competence to rule our own lives and save ourselves. People become nothing through suffering so that they can be filled with God and His grace. 
People become nothing through suffering so that they can be filled with God's grace. Suffering dispels the illusion that we have the strength and competence to rule our own lives and save ourselves. Men and women, do you see what's happening right now? Do you know what's taking place? We, I thought that I was good. I thought that everything was okay. I thought that I had put myself in a good financial position. I thought that things were going to be just fine. But somehow, a worldwide pandemic comes in and messes all that up. Who would have dreamed that the economy would tank in the way that it has in the last few days? Who would have dreamed that 53,000 people would have lost their jobs and applied for uh, uh, employment? Unemployment. Who would have dreamed that this would have come to our shores, to our country? We have the best medical uh, stuff in the entire world. How could we possibly be in this place where we don't have enough medical beds and we don't have enough ventilators, we don't have enough um, masks for our medical professionals? How could this possibly be? And I'll just say this, well, I don't want to give, I, I don't want to say that I think that God brought this to teach us a lesson. I want to say this, that these, this suffering, that these trials and that these things that are taking place here do teach us a lesson that God wants us to learn. I'm not saying that God brought the pandemic to us, but I am saying that I believe that God uses these tragedies for this purpose. To say, you are not in control. Your life is but a mist. You do not know the number of the hairs on your head. You do not, you cannot fathom mysteries beyond your understanding. You did not make yourself to be who you are today. You cannot control how long you live. You, you cannot be the final authority in all things. What brings the greatest fear, what brings the greatest suffering, what brings the greatest um, uncertainty comes down to this. As long as we believe that we were in control, as long as we believe that we had the world by the tail, as long as we believed that our business was awesome and nothing could take us out, as long as we believe that we can manage the affairs of our life and do whatever we want and act however we want and give no credit or credence to God, as long as that takes place, you will experience suffering in a way that seems worthless, that has no meaning in your life, and that will not change anything, and you will not experience the flourishing of God the Father uh, through uh, the Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You will not have a living hope. Though now for a little while, if necessary. What's your perspective? What's your perspective? Here's the last thing. And that is that God seems kind of unfair. 
I mean, if God exists and he's up there and he's just basically saying, you know what, I'm going to allow this great pandemic to come over these people and, and I'm just going to allow them to experience that and that, it'll be good for them and, you know, be, be some medicine that they need to take kind of a deal. Like, that seems offensive to me as well. Like, how could God sit there and, like, it seems sadistic that he would sit there and toy with the nations in this way. It seems uh, masochistic to, to, to say, like, yeah, you just need to endure this suffering, and, yeah, I'm just going to pour this out on you. It, it seems horrible in so many respects. Unless you understand who Jesus is. If you understand who Jesus is, then that might dispel any rumors to that effect. If you understand who this Jesus is, it, it says in Matthew, the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, which tells the story of Jesus. It says, Matthew 26, verse 36, it says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Now Jesus, it, it is right before he is about to be uh, arrested and beaten and then crucified. It's right before that. And Jesus talks to his disciples and he says, I, I want you to sit here while I go over there and pray. And he takes with him Peter. He takes Peter, the guy who's writing the book that we've been reading here. He takes Peter with him. And the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Now, who is Jesus? Jesus is God in the flesh. Do you, know, you want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. God is like Jesus. Jesus is God. Jesus is showing us who God is. And what is God like? God began to be sorrowful. And he began to be troubled. Jesus has real feelings. God has real feelings. He has real sorrow. And what is he sorrow, sorrowful about? His impending death. His crucifixion. It says in verse 38, Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Jesus wasn't just kind of sorrowful and troubled, but he was He's expressing to his friends, he's saying, I am so sad. I have so much anxiety. I am so depressed. I am, this is so uncertain. In fact, it wasn't uncertain. It was actually kind of certain. Uh, he's going to certain death. He knew it. He planned it. But he was saying, like, even to death, like, I, I feel like I'm going to die because I'm under so much pressure. And I don't know where you're at, this morning, like whether you're feeling like great pressure, did the, did the economy dropping, just did the stock market crashing just kill you? Did it kill your 401k? Feel sorrowful to death? Is all the pressure from our community and all of the different articles, is it making you sorrowful to death? Well, this morning... Jesus says, remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, and this is what Jesus prays to the Father. God the Son prays to God the Father. And he says, my Father, if it be possible, 
let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. See, I see in there not a note of uncertainty that, that he doesn't know whether this is going to happen or not. But I see Jesus, the Son, fully God and fully man, sitting there just going, I don't know. Man, if it's possible, Father, like, this is going to be painful. This is going to bring suffering into my life. And I would rather not have to do this if I didn't have to. But at the end, he says, nevertheless, not, not as I will, but as you will. And what was the will that was to be done? The will was this, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had planned from eternity past, had planned forever to die on the cross. And God the Father, as the, the, the sorrowful Father who's going to see His Son be put to death, is, is, is also just grieving this. But here is Jesus, and He goes to the cross. He goes to the cross fully knowing what's going to happen, but just, but just still saying, if it's possible, I really wish that this didn't have to happen. If it's possible, but Jesus goes and he says, I'm going to submit to the will of the Father. And the will of the Father was this, that he would go to the cross. And when he goes to the cross, what he offers you is this, a living hope. He offers you a living hope. He offers you a God to praise instead of yourself. He offers you a God to look to as sovereign, to know that nothing that we experience in this life is outside of his control. He offers you a God who lavishes great mercy on you. He offers you a God who gives you a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he offers to you resurrection so that you no longer have to be scared of death. And not that you need to be foolish or something like that, but you no longer have anything to fear. Your inheritance isn't here. Your life isn't here. It's hidden with Christ in God. You can have a living hope. Men and women who are believers here that are listening this morning, you have the living hope. Put down the articles and look into your living hope. Read that over and over again. And next week I'm going to pick it up in verse 7. And I'm excited to, to teach that with you uh, next week. This morning I want to invite you to uh, communion. And so if you, uh, if you have communion with you right there, um, I want to invite you to partake of that. As we say oftentimes, uh, Jesus wants us to taste what he's done for us. And so this morning I invite you uh, to taste the mercy of our God and Father through the power of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, this morning. 
And so I'll read again, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, where the Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray here for just a moment. Would you take a moment and examine your own life and just say, where has my hope been? Has it been in this world? Let's pray for just a moment. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would speak to us right now. Lord, bring up the moments where we have not had hope in you. Lord Jesus, bring up the moments where we have not been trusting in you. Lord Jesus, we take those before you and we say, we thank you so much for going to the cross and paying for that sin. We thank you that you experienced the, the despair and the sorrow and the desperation in order to give us a new perspective in life. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross. Let's do this in remembrance of him. Let's partake of the bread. And it says, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so let's partake of the, of the blood. Lord Jesus, this morning we just want to say thank you for experiencing the sorrow, for experiencing the shame, for experiencing the suffering and the uncertainty that we experienced. Lord, you experienced everything that we experienced, and yet you were sinless, and, and, and even still you went to the cross for us in our place. So, Lord, I pray as Christians we can recalibrate our lives. We can get pers some perspective on this. Instead of looking down, we can look up. We can look up into the hills and say our help comes from the Lord. We can look up to the hills and say you are sovereign and good. And this stuff at the base of the mountain won't mean anything. Lord, you have an, in an inheritance that will never spoil or fade. It is incorruptible for us. And so we, we ask you that we would look toward that. Lord, by the power of your spirit, I ask that you would bring this about in our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen.